This morning, you get to hear from your pastor's pastor. This is my, this is my pastor. Praise the Lord. Um, this is George Morrison. If you don't know who he is, um, he's kind of a rock star, though. I saw that happening around yeah, here. Yeah, right. He's humble. Um, On the golf course, too. That's right. <laughs> pastor George, um, he baptized me. He took a chance on a knucklehead like me and put me on his staff. <laughs> he, uh, thank you for that. We survived. Um, <laughs> he married Janelle and I, and um, he's just a precious, precious human being to nice. me. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful. He was, said he was going to be in town, and, and we were talking about this. We're kicking off this new series. Like many of us are reading through the Bible this year. <laughs> And we just finished a series on Genesis last week on longing for Eden. And when Pastor George and I were talking about him coming and speaking, and I said, you're going to be kicking off kind of this Exodus, rest of the Torah kind of deal. He was like, that's my sweet yeah, spot. And, and this man has been praying. He's been preaching for how many years? Forty. Forty-something years. And yet he was asking me questions like, where are you at? He was taking it so serious. And I appreciate that. I respect that. He's got a good word for us this morning, so Pastor George, take it from here. Thank you, Pastor. Well, good morning, Ovation. Wow, what a joy it is to be here. I want to thank Pastor Scott and Janelle for inviting us to be here. It's a real honor to be able to come back into the city where you spend so much time and pastored here, and yet we go our separate ways and then be able to come back and like connect, you know? I connected so much, I went to the golf tournament. You know, I attended, I was all excited about this golf tournament, so I put this, what I thought it was a good team together. And uh, I had my brother-in-law, Kent, and, and a couple I know from Faith there, Al and uh, Lisa Voigt. And I was all ready to play. And two days before I made the trip from Georgia to here, uh, we were going to be gone from the 17th. We were here since the 17th, and we fly out tomorrow. So I thought, man, the grass, we, we have a lot of grass around this. We live on five acres down there. And, and so I said, i got to get this grass cut, <laughs> because it's just going to be wild when I get back here. So I got on my riding mower that I have, and I was cutting the grass, and behind our house is, there's a hill, okay? So... I navigated that hill, was getting the grass cut, and just as I'm ready to come out from around that hill, I saw a little spot of grass. I thought, I need to get that. <laughs> and it was a steeper hill. So I go up the hill, and I wanted to get a little bit closer to the Fitzers, the bushes that were there, and I just gave it one more push. And after I gave it one more push, that lawnmower went boom, right on top of me. And uh, the blades, you know, they automatically shut off when you're thrown out of the seat. I don't know, but that's a safety factor. <laughs> so I know I hurt myself because it landed on me, but I, I needed to pull myself out because I thought about the gas, you know, flowing if you catch fire or something like that. So I dragged myself out. And I know I'm hurting. Uh, it hit in the back and come around the side here. Well, anyway, long story short, I think... I, I didn't go to the doctor. I broke seven ribs about a year and a half ago. So I know what it feels like. So I think I broke about two ribs here. And anyway, but I did come out to the golf game. 
and my specialty was putting. <laughs> so every, that's all I was allowed to do was putt. But it was a great fellowship, and I appreciate it. Well, God is good. You know, if there's one thing I know about your pastor, uh, he takes the Word of God seriously. Since I've known him, he's just had such, such a hunger, and he studies, and, and he loves to get in conversations about the Word of God. So I know that you're under good care here with uh, Scott and Janelle. You really are, and, and you, you ought to be appreciative. You really should. And I, I appreciate how he, he's taken you, and uh, make, uh, you're making your way through the Bible. Uh, you just wrapped up Genesis, and with Joseph, I listened to the message from last week, so I could kind of be on the same page and moving, taking the very next step. Joseph is a great character, but you learned about forgiveness. You talk about, is anyone as an example of what it means to forgive? Uh, Joseph certainly was one, and uh, that was under the category uh, of longing for, that was longing for, what was it? Eden. Well, we're moving into longing for rest, okay? I, I know that's what we're going to talk about, longing for rest, in the book of Exodus, under that umbrella theme of longing for rest. I'm going to pray, but I want you to think about this. This is good. I, 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 I don't know if you believe in time travel, but I do. When you, anytime you read the Bible, you're going back in time. You're traveling back to thousands of years ago where these events took place. And when we're in the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus, I mean, it's like time travel. So I really want you to try to imagine what it was like back in those days. What was it like in Genesis when all that, the beginnings were happening? Oh, good. Thanks again. I, Scott did give me one, but I drank it before I got up here. <laughs> you know, moving to Georgia and then moving back from Georgia to here. It's like I can't breathe. You know, I can't get enough to drink water. Uh, but anyway, uh, so a little time travel. Let's pick it up in Exodus and we're going to move on through. You know, Paul said in the New Testament that the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our example. So what you're doing is just following what the Word dictates. Is Listen, look at these examples of how God dealt with the people 35, 3,700 years ago. And we learn then from those examples, and that's exactly what you're doing. You're learning, and hopefully we're going to learn something as they move into the book of Exodus. Let's pray. Father, I am just trusting that you're going to help us navigate these scriptures as we move forward uh, into the book of Exodus. And uh, the next step in the journey of the children of Israel. Uh, so, Lord, we cannot do this without your Holy Spirit. Lord, not only to help me speak the words, but for everyone listening to help receive the word. And Lord God, then receive it and then follow through and live it out the, the way you would like us to live it out. Amen. Let it be done. Amen simply means let it be done. All right, if I were to put some descriptive words, first of all, uh, to the book of Exodus, I would use words like this, deliverance. I would use word like redemption. It was a redemption. It was, it was learning trust. 
Exodus was a time to get God's people ready for their next move. And as we look at this weekend, as we celebrate our independence, literally the children of Israel were celebrating their independence now, moving out from under the bondage of Egypt into now their own land, which they would eventually get to. The word that you're going to hear over and over again throughout the message as you read the scriptures in Exodus is the wilderness. I've been in the wilderness that the Bible talks about. Pastor Scott has been in his trips to Israel in the wilderness. And that it is a wilderness. It's not just a desert of sand, but it is rocky. The terrain is tough. There are mountains, there are valleys, there's no water. And when there is water, there's wadis that just come down like floods. So it's a very difficult uh, piece of geography to navigate. But yet that's where God was taking them. And I'm going to refer to this a couple of times because, you know, I think there's sometimes, if we were to be truthful, that we feel like we're in the wilderness. I don't know, has anyone felt like you're in the wilderness? At least one or two, nobody in here has felt like they're in the wilderness. My Lord, you're doing a good job, Pastor Scott. <laughs> oh, so we, so we have this wilderness experience that they're going into. Now, imagine with me, hundreds of thousands of the Jewish people, they're being led under the leadership of Moses, and they're moving out of Egypt. Listen to this. I'm not just going to say to the promised land, but to a place of total uncertainty. These last years have taught us some things, haven't they? We have lived in a time of total uncertainty, more than I've ever experienced in my 50-year walk with the Lord. Although they had a promise... And that promise they held on to was passed down from Abraham. It was carried in the heart of Joseph, as you saw it. I love, I love the words about Joseph, that, that he commanded the children of Israel to take his bones, take his bones with them when they go to the promised land. There was no doubt in his mind that God was going to fulfill his promise. He, they, Joseph had full faith, even to the point he said, okay, he made his own arrangements where his final burial would take place. So they had a promise. T.S. Eliot said, what you do not know is the only thing you know. What you do not know is the only thing you do not know. If we're talking about uncertainty in a time that we find ourselves. In my lifetime, over these last years, have proven to be a time of uncertainty. For me personally, for the church, for the world, a time of uncertainty. Most of you know that Cheryl and I made a move about three and a half years ago where we were resigning from a place that we had been participating in for some 50 years and pastoring for 40 years. Now, if you could just only kind of think with me for a moment what that's like to move out of where you have certain, there's certain things that are certain about your life and the way it's going, but then all of a sudden we move out to uncertainty. We knew that God was not through with us. We wanted to continue our ministry, but we had no idea what that would be. 
So we just stepped out by faith. We even made a move from the state that we love and from family and friends that we love. By the way, Pastor Blake is here with me, my son-in-law that came along uh, to support and be with you guys. He's, he's been a big part of so many people's lives. But so, so we're moving into this area of uncertainty. So no sooner do we get going and, and traveling in ministry overseas in Israel, etc., etc., and bam, the pandemic hits. And it throws us in. Once again, everything comes to a halt. And we're wondering, where are we going to go from here? So it was a time of uncertainty that we had. It's happened in my lifetime. It's in your lifetime. And if they, this time has taught us anything, it would be this. We are not in control. We are just not in control. There are more questions than there are answers. The uncertainty over these last years has been a humbling experience. And I'm just talking about me now. For us, all of us, a humbling experience. Life doesn't always follow the path that we've set out before us, the plan we set out before us. I could not help but think of this. The last time I ministered here, uh, I was, you know, you all know Pastor Russ Phrase, who's gone on to be with the Lord. He and I are great friends, and we had gone out for coffee on Saturday, and he told me he's leaving like on Sunday afternoon. I told him, well, I was going to be speaking at Scotch Church Novation, and uh, guess who shows up? Pastor Russ. He shows up, he's going to be traveling, but he shows up, and after the message, he comes up and he said, Pastor George, he said, I learned something new from your message. I don't know how that speaks to you, but that speaks to me about a man who was always learning. But my point being here, the uncertainty that that would be the last time I saw him alive. I didn't know that. So we've been living in a time of uncertainty. And if we're not careful, this uncertainty can cause many problems. Uncertainty is fertile ground for doubt. It's fertile ground for despair, depression, worry, fear, anxiety. And a lot of people that I know have been going through that. All of those emotions. And it's because of the uncertainty. And a side effect of this uncertainty is you begin to complain and you begin to murmur. And you slip back into your attitude is certainly affected. Now life has a way of delivering us into seasons where there are more questions than there are answers. When all you know is what you don't know. It's been that way over these last years. This is where the people of God are as they come into Exodus and they begin to move through it. In the very first chapter of Exodus, we have this first, it's not going to come up, but we have this first, it says that a, oh, it is coming up, <laughs> that there's a, a new king, listen to these words, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So you talked about Joseph, a new king. We used to say there's a new sheriff in town. 
And things are going to be different. They certainly turned out different for the children of Israel. They are now brought under bondage. They're into slavery, hard labor for 400 plus years. A cry arises from their midst. A constant crying out to God for their deliverance. A longing for rest. Because they have certainly been living in a very difficult time. So this cry goes up before the ears of God. And he hears the cry. Now you, you know this, so this is a long introduction, but I'm getting, I'm building this because it's important. So in the first 15 chapters of Exodus, as you move into it, you have the story of, of Moses receiving the call from God from the burning bush. Moses going down. You know all about the ten plagues. If you've seen the Ten Commandments, you know the story. And most of us have seen that. So they're moving out and they come to the Red Sea. And at the Red Sea they have one of the first great, great miracles for all the congregation to see aside from the plagues that were there. Under Moses' leadership and certainly the hand of God, when they get to the other side of the Red Sea, can you imagine the excitement in the hearts of these Jewish people? Can you imagine, especially the older ones, who maybe knew about the stories a little bit more, but they certainly have passed them back down into their children. They get to the other side of the Red Sea. The Red Sea closes in on Pharaoh and his chariots, and we're told that a song breaks out. Miriam, the sister of Moses grabs a tambourine and she gets it going with the tambourine. And it's called the Song of Moses. It goes like this. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he hath thrown into the sea. Great time of jubilation, celebration. Their independence is coming. Somewhat we're going to have great celebration this weekend of our independence. But say but. Three days into their journey, they begin to complain. They complain that there's no food, there's no water. Well, I've gotten a lot of detail. They just saw ten, ten plagues. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw the fire and the cloud, you know, all of this. And yet three days into the journey, they begin to complain. I want to pick it up there in our text in chapter 16. And now we begin our text. 16 and verse 4, some selected verses. But verse 4 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And I jump down to the next verse and it says, and when the layer of dew lifted in the morning, we see a lot of dew down there in Georgia in the morning. Everything's wet in the morning there. The dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, get this, what is it? Say that with me. What is it? For they did not know what it was. 
And Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord had commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. Pay attention to that. One omer for each person. According to the number of persons, let every man take those for those who are in his tent. And then one more verse, jumping down to verse 35. And the children of Israel ate what? Manna 40 years. 40 years they ate that manna. Until they came to the inhabited land, they ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Find that in Exodus chapter 16. So, children of Israel, on their journey, moving forward, I'd like to talk to you today and just on the next moments that we have together on the mystery of manna. Say that with me. The mystery of manna. Okay. That was the 75% that did not. That was the 25% that I had. So the mystery of manna. Okay. Get this. All right. Four things I'm going to pull from uh, this whole incident about discovering this manna that was before them. The first thing is this. Uh, manna is accepted, even now, worldwide, as a word that means bread. Maybe it's not as common now, but manna has come, people have come to believe manna is bread, uh, to accept it as bread. But manna does not mean bread. Matter of fact, manna is not even a noun. It's not a noun. But what it is, it's a question. And it's a question that says, what is it? When they looked at it, they said, what is it? What is this stuff? That's like they came out of their tents. What is it? They never saw it before. They never tasted it. Uh, they, they didn't know if they were going to like it. And, and I, I just bet by knowing human nature, someone in the very beginning is saying, I ain't going to eat that stuff. That stuff is on the ground. I'm not going to eat that stuff. No difference than today, is it? They simply said, what is it? What is it? It was manna. So the word was manna, manna, passed around the tent. What is it? What is it? And then you could just hear the, the, the words coming out from the mouths of everyone that was around there. Now, when they looked at it, this provision that God was providing, all they could say is, what is it? It was food. Uh, they knew it was a, a provision for them. They were instructed by Moses. So they knew it was food, knew it was a provision, but they never called it 40 years food or water. They always called it water for the 40 years until they got to the promised land. What is it? They always raised the question for 40 years, what is it? Now this means something. Every morning when they wake up, they would wake up with that question. Think about it. 
rubbing the eyeballs, getting up, pulling the tent flat back. What is it? <laughs> so they would say manna. Eventually we use the word manna, but they were still asking the question, what is it? Now understand this. In Egypt, the children of Israel were farmers also. They were slaves and built the houses, but they were farmers. They had to plant their own foods, and they had to raise their own crops. They had to process their own crops. So they knew what that was. But they are now in a place now which this provision has nothing to do with them. It's by the mighty hand of God that he sends this manna. They sends this wafer, this wafer that was to be their provision of their food. Now, the problem the children of Israel would have is they had a hard time learning how to appreciate God's provision. It runs true through the book of Exodus. They just could not learn how to appreciate the provision. They cried out, God gave them this manna from heaven. You know, you can live your whole life living underneath the weight of your questions. Catch this. Note this. You can spend all of your life, your Christian life, living under a weight of your questions and never appreciate that God has provided God works all things for good. So although it was a question, it was also a provision. Now I hope you begin to pick up where I'm headed with this thing, that we're always going to live with questions in this life. And we're not going to get answers to those questions. But you can tell that there are some people live under a weight of the questions and they lose the victory in their life. They don't live a joyful life because it's just the weight of the question of not getting an answer without seeing that in the question there is a provision. God will provide. One advantage that I have now, 50 years of walking with God, I can look back and I can just trace you know, when you're in the middle of it, when you have a lot of questions, you're not getting any answers. I mean, it's just hard to really sort things out. But after you experience it year after year, the faithfulness of God, I can now rejoice in the fact that God has provided. In the midst of all the questions that I had, in the midst of all the questions I have now, in the midst of all the questions that you might have in your life, God does provide. And he will provide. He will make a way where there is no way. Did I have questions in my life? Absolutely. Lots of them. Second thing that I want to pull out here is that the manna, you'll notice what they said is that they were only to gather so much of it. Every morning wake up and re be reminded that God will provide. So it's a question that we have here with this attached to manna. But the second thing is what I was just pointing out is that every morning be reminded that God will provide. You might wake up with a question. And sometimes we carry those questions from the, from the weights of yesterday, the demands of yesterday. Whether you're in business, whether you're in ministry, whether you're a homemaker, your mom, whatever you might be doing, we always have a tendency and could carry questions from the day before. But every day they woke up with a question, but they also woke with this, God's going to provide. 
Let me say something about that. You might wake up with a question, but you've got to understand that God provides. Gather it in the morning, because if you don't gather it in the morning, it's going to dry up and turn into worms. It's going to dry up and begin to stink. So that they gather it in the morning. The point is this. How you start your morning determines how the rest of your day will go. If you wake up and you can immediately see God provides, even though you have these questions back in your mind, God will provide, God is with me. Every morning, Cheryl and I say this to each other, every morning, we, we might miss one every once in a while, but when we're on the edge of the bed or maybe sometimes still laying in the bed, this is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And we say it every morning. Why? Because I know how you start your day is going to determine how the rest of the day is going to go. So, the third thing in this, the mystery of manna. You're to collect it in the morning, but it had some restrictions. And the restrictions were only collect enough of what they needed as much as you need. Say need. So it's as much as you need. Now, if they in their greed collected more, it would turn to the worms and stink. In the wilderness, God forces us to examine the difference between need and greed. And I think throughout all of our walk, we need to begin to sort it out. What are the needs that I have versus what is the greed that I have in my life? The promise in Philippians chapter 4 is that God's going to supply all our needs, not greeds, according to His riches in glory. We need to learn to be content. Would you agree? Yeah. Learn to be content. So you had manna is a question. Manna is a provision. Manna, we learn to be content. And lastly, I'll bring this to my last point. Manna is only collected for one day at a time. And this is important. In the wilderness, God is teaching us to live one day at a time. God is teaching us to appreciate what today has instead of worrying about what tomorrow will be. One day at a time. Say that with me. One day at a time. You know, you can miss the joy of today by worrying or imagining what tomorrow may or may not be. God has always desired for his people to appreciate the day that we're living in. The Lord's Prayer, or I should say the Discipleship's Prayer, give us what? This day our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount, and as he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount during those chapters at 5, 6, and 7, one of the greatest teachings that's helped me along the way is that teaching about how be anxious for nothing. <laughs> Don't be anxious for anything. Just, just take it one day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough evil to take care of itself. How many know that to be true? But today, God said, if I'm faithful to take care of the flowers today, I'm faithful to take care of the birds today, I certainly can take care of you, my children. 
So we learn to live one day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow and enjoy the manna today. They started out their journey into this finding this place of rest that God was leading them to, to the promised land. They started it out with God showing his mighty hand and his mighty works. But at the same time, during that journey, they had so many questions, so much uncertainty, that, that un times of uncertainty can eat away at your faith and you begin to slip into where the rest of the world slipping into is that we, we've lost our victory. We've lost our joy. I want to say this. Why not have joy? Why not celebrate your salvation even though you might have a lot of questions about life? As I go along and I gather these questions in my life and I'm asked the question all the time. What what, do you have the answer, Pastor? I said, listen, I don't have the answers. So if I have a question and I don't seem to get an answer right away, do you want what I do is just a, a picture, a picture of this. I take that question and I put it on a shelf. And I've learned that after a period of time, all of a sudden God might show me part of the answer. So I'll take it down off the shelf, add it to it, and put it back on the shelf. And then sooner or later I pull it off the shelf and I've got the answer to it. So you're going to have questions don't be overcome or don't be under the weight of those questions and not be able to live the life that Jesus wants you to live. One more verse. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17. To him that overcomes, listen carefully to this. This is it the book of Revelation to overcomers? To him who overcomes will I give to eat of the hidden manna. I believe there's coming a day when we're at the throne of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I, I happen to believe this is going to be something like at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when God's going to give you to eat of the hidden manna. All those hidden answers, all those things you wondered about. Why did so-and-so have to pass so early? I, I've got questions. This, these last three years, I have more questions than I've ever had in my walk. But I have to learn to understand there's coming a day and I might not get all my answers here. But I can trust in God's provision here and I can look forward to a day when God's going to say, do you want to understand why that happened in your life? Wow. Part of the joy. Wow. I can understand that God. He will give to eat of the hidden manna. Let me pray. Father, you have such a way of teaching us through your word. It, it becomes mind-boggling sometimes that how you can take things that happened 3,700 years ago and how in, in your dealing with and working with the children of Israel that take those things and teach us today so that we can lay hold of a faith that we need to walk through this life, even though there might be uncertainty. We can walk through in victory, in joy, putting things on a shelf, waiting for you to, at the right time, give us the answer, but also looking forward to the glorious day when you gather us all home. And you certainly will be the answer to everything that we need. Thank you for our time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And amen.